You're listening to Don't IEP Alone with special education advocate Lisa Leitner. For more information about Lisa, the IEP toolkit, and more ways we can help you in your process, go to adayinourshoes.com. Now back to the show with your host, Lisa. Welcome back to Don't IEP Alone with Lisa Leitner. We were talking about IEP evaluations and the evaluation process, and this is episode two in the series. Today, we are going to talk about the permission to evaluate form and when a school does not have to evaluate your child. Because yes, there are circumstances where the school district is completely legal and completely justified in refusing to evaluate your child. So let's dig in. Last week, we talked about, again, requesting those evaluations, doing that request in writing the moment you have concerns, giving them concrete examples, all areas of suspected disability. And as I told you, end, my always advise, end that email with the expectation that you know, you're letting them know that you are expecting to receive a permission to evaluate form, also known as a PTE. The first time your child is ever evaluated for special ed, it's called an evaluation and you get an ER or an evaluation report. You get a permission to evaluate report, PTE. After that, every subsequent evaluation and report is known as a re-evaluation. So it's not an ER, it's an RR for re-evaluation report. And instead of PTE, it's PTR for permission to re-evaluate. I know it's easy to get <laughs> overwhelmed by all these acronyms, but that's what you may you know, hear being thrown around the room. So you get that PTE form. It should list on it really everything that they are planning on doing. What I don't, so I have mixed emotions about the, the, the example I'm going to give you. And that is, now if you go online and you can Google your state Department of Ed, um, you can do permission to evaluate form, permission to reevaluate form. And chances are you'll, you'll come up with a blank template of some kind. And you can look at it. And that should be, you know, schools aren't required necessarily to use every form that the state puts out. And they use their own software programs and things like that. So their form may look different than what's on the state website. But it should be similar, right? What I see on a lot of PTE and PTR forms is there's a section where the school is supposed to write like what they're going to do. And there's often a really non-committal generic phrase that says something like, um, school district will administer comprehensive special education evaluations as needed or something like that. I personally like to see the areas 
listed. So if you have speech concerns, it says speech evaluates. If you have OT, OT is listed. And in fact, it goes even one step further. And is it OT fine motor? Is it OT sensory? You know, and so on and so on. I like to see a little bit more specific. I do not ever recommend professionally that you request specific assessments. And the reason is this, one reasons are this is that one is that you don't know if they have anyone in the building qualified to do that assessment, right? A lot of these assessments have very specific protocols that are put out by a publisher and they list exactly who is qualified to administer these assessments and who isn't. And you don't know if they have anyone in the building who can do that. Second, we're not, parents are not educational diagnosticians. I can't say it. That's not really our job. We're not school psychologists. We're not OTs. We're not speech therapists. So I, I just get really nervous about, you know, because often when parents hear things from other parents, you know, it may not really even apply to your child. That child may have completely different disabilities and needs from your child. Um, I would not, I just wouldn't request, you know, a lot of parents request like the brief for executive functioning. And now if you listened to the podcast episode a few weeks ago about executive functioning, like I would not request the brief anymore. It's not a good assessment um, for executive functioning. So that's one reason is that you don't know that they have anyone there. You don't know that you're going to request the right things because this, for most of us, this just isn't our wheelhouse and we don't know these assessments. And lastly, it kind of closes the door for an IEE. And an IEE is an independent education evaluation. I'm going to talk about them in a later episode as we go through evaluations. We're not there yet. We're not at IEE level yet. When we get there, you're going to understand the importance of them and when to ask for one and all that. But the school does not have to provide you an IEE and they only have to give you this option under certain circumstances. And if you request a specific evaluation assessment, you list the test, they do the test, the assessment says, nope no disability in that area, you've kind of closed the door on getting that second opinion or that IEE in that area because the school district can come back and say, hey, she asked for this assessment. We did it. We did it with fidelity. Here's the paperwork. Here's the raw data. We did it with fidelity and it found no disability. And you really could lose your argument and your proof for getting an IEE. So I wouldn't do it for those reasons. But look over that permission to evaluate or permission to reevaluate form. And, you know, just make sure that everything makes sense. Everything fits. Is every area listed? Is executive functioning and social skills and pragmatics, right? All that stuff, pragmatic communication. You want to make sure that all of that is listed, if not, you can write on these forms. Nowhere in IDEA or any state regs 
does it say that only school staff can write on a PTE or PTR form? You can write on these and, you know, list what you're expecting to see. Pragmatic language, social skills, working memory, executive functions, you know, whatever it is that you want to see that you're, main, you're, you're concerned that they may not evaluate for, go ahead and list that on there. If you're not comfortable writing on these forms, and not everyone is, that's fine, um, attach it. Send an email. Hey, I'm sending back the PTE form today. I just want to be clear that I want my child to be assessed in the following areas and list them. Somewhere you've got to get it documented. You have to give the school an opportunity to evaluate and get it right. Even if you don't trust them, even if you've been told not to trust them, even if you have your own experience with older siblings that you don't trust them, any attorney will tell you. I shouldn't say that because I'm not an attorney and I don't play one on the internet. Um, most advocates will tell you, you have to give the school district a chance to evaluate and to get it right. Even if you're not expecting them to get it right, even if you know out the gate that you're going to be requesting an IEE, you have to give the chance, the school district a chance to get it right. Um, you just don't have a lot of ground to stand on if you want to move right to an IEE or a second opinion. Now, if your child is not new to the IEP process, they already have an IEP, but you're just asking for additional areas for evaluations. You know, perhaps you didn't, um, you didn't understand, I don't know, I have a lot of things come up in older kids, right? As, as academic and social demands change, you know, a lot of times more issues become evident that maybe weren't so evident when they were little. You can request new evaluations or additional evaluations at any time. I would be reasonable. I'm always advising parents to at least be reasonable. The school district is required to evaluate your child in every area of suspected disability, but they're required to reevaluate every three years in most states. Some have lowered it to two. Um, but for the most part, it's every three. And when I say be reasonable, I mean this, if you're, you know, look at your child's IEP, their renewal date for the annual meeting and when they are due for re-evaluations. If you have an IEP meeting coming up, or more importantly, if the three year, the triennial evaluations are coming up, I would say in like six months or less, I would not request specific new evaluations. I would just do an email to whoever you speak with at the school about, hey, you know, my child's almost due for their triennials over the past several months. This is what we've noticed. So when you do the re-evaluations, please include the following areas. And again, list whatever it is. So that way it just kind of gets wrapped into the new set of evaluations. You don't necessarily need to do, you know, you request evaluations and then they start doing them a month or two later. And then two or three months after that, they're due for another set of evals. That's, that's a lot. And that's, you know, because keep in mind, your kids are getting, you know, assessing and bringing your kids in to do assessments and 
Um, sometimes they require verbal interviews and written tests and things like that. Um, this is taking your, your child out of the classroom and away from instruction and things like that. So we, we don't want to disrupt their schedule any more than we have to either. So if it if it's reasonable that it can just be wrapped into the next set of evaluations, that is what my recommendation would be. Another common issue that I see with reevaluations, particularly when these kids are older, like when I'm talking about like when they're due for a reeval and it's 11th or 12th grade, I see a lot of these PTR permission to reevaluate forms that come home to parents to sign because it's reevaluation time. And on it, it states that the team is going to do what is known as a read, R-E-E-D, a re-evaluation of existing data. What that means is they're basically going to look at the records, they're going to look at previous assessments and test scores and just draw up a new report and that they're not going to actually do any new assessments. The only time in Now, I've been doing this since 2010, so 13 years. The only time in 13 years that I have found it appropriate to do a read, a reevaluation of existing data, is during the pandemic when it was literally impossible to present a child in person to do these assessments, and not all of the assessments could be done online. So during the pandemic, it was, it's impossible to do some assessments. So yes, you had to go on existing data. And then along those same lines is if a child is in a health, physical health or mental health crisis, they might be in a hospitalization program, they might be at home recovering from a big surgery, things like that. When the child, again, just is not able to be presented for these evaluations. Outside of those two circumstances, I just don't see it ever appropriate to not do all new assessments. I think it's a time and a money money saving technique. And I get that schools need to save time and they need to save money. They're working with very limited resources. I get that. But kids are kids, man. They change a lot in two or three years. And I don't ever see it. I mean, you think about any three-year time frame, if we're talking about five to eight or six to nine or 10 to 13 or 13 to 16, and how many mental, physical psychological, emotional changes we go through as human beings in three years when we're talking about, you know, this three to 21 age group, like kids can just change so significantly. It doesn't make sense to me to not do new assessments. It just doesn't. Um, If you want to agree to that, that's up to you. That is not you know, you might have this extenuating circumstance where you say, yeah, well, it makes sense for us because, you know, hey, go for it if that's what you're comfortable with. I just don't ever see it being useful. Kids change a lot in three years and the demands put on them 
change a lot from sixth to seventh to 10th to 12th grade. Like it just, we don't realize until we have the gift of age and experience to look back and say, wow, we really expect kids to do a lot from year to year and really grow up and push them on through, right? Um, So it's just always better to have a new set of data. The other thing is this, and they say, well, it's halfway through his junior year. What difference does it make? Or he's already a senior. He's going to be graduating. That is precisely when I would want more data. I want to know what my child is leaving the school district with. And not only, excuse me, not only would I not agree to a re-evaluation of existing data, I would be asking for more assessments. I would be asking for vocational assessments. I would be asking for, you know, independent living assessments. There's all these different things that kids need to be successful adults. And I want to have as much information as I have prior to my child leaving the school district. If my child and I'm exiting my child and I'm not seeking a 13th or 14th year, I want to know the full picture of what that child looks like as they're exiting the school system. They might be a 12th grader reading at a 7th grade level. You need to know that. You need to know what you're dealing with. You need to know if your child has been masking issues, you may not know the extent to what the supports that they're going to need as an adult. And these are all the things that I recommend because you're not going to get an educational evaluation once your child's 20, 22 years old and just living in the community. You're going to have to pay for it yourself out of pocket, right? If you want to get a reading assessment or a social skills assessment or any of those different things, they're not readily available. So I would not agree to it. Okay, let's recap what I talked about today. Episode two of evaluations or reevaluations. Once you've submitted your request for evaluations or additional evaluations, if your child's already been evaluated, you should receive a PTE permission to evaluate or permission to reevaluate form. I'm also giving you some homework to go ahead and Google a blank one on your state's website. See what you can find so you should know what to expect and what it looks like. It should be filled out, in my, in my professional opinion, it should be filled out pretty thoroughly and accurately. Um, if you agree to as needed, it just, I, it, it just, I just don't think it's good practice. I think it leaves too much open to interpretation. And when parents have different expectations than IEP teams have and those expectations aren't met, that's when conflicts arise, right? And it's all about that communication piece because the the school puts out a PTE form with one thing on it and in their mind, they know what they're going to cover and a parent agrees to it and says, oh, okay, comprehensive evals as needed. And they have a different view in their mind of what that's going to look like. Like, let's get everybody on the same page. And when you say comprehensive evals, what are you talking about? And who's going to do them and when and and all that. I would just, 
you know, just make sure you're really comfortable with it, with what's going to be done. As far as reads or reevaluation of existing data, other than the pandemic and illness and hospitalization, I have not heard a solid argument for using these that benefits the child or that helps the child in any way. So I would not agree to them readily. I have yet, like I said, I have yet to hear a very good argument besides the child just not being able to do the evaluation. I have never heard a good reason for doing these other than to save money and time. And that's really it. Um, Next up, after you submit the permission to evaluate form or the PTR form, what you should expect next and the evaluation report meetings, how to interpret them. We're going to talk a little bit about that and much more. So stay tuned and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Don't IEP Alone with special education advocate, Lisa Leitner. We're so glad you've joined us and would love to connect with you outside of the show. For more information about Lisa, the IEP toolkit, and more ways we can help you in your process, go to adayinourshoes.com. From self-care tips to common IEP mistakes, there's even more to explore. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast and subscribe to never miss an episode. Until next time, don't IEP alone and you don't have to.